my series dealing with common questions and controversies of Christianity. In today's lesson, I'm going to be addressing the topic of church giving. Due to the increasing failure of leadership, the idea of biblical eldership has pretty much disappeared from the normal function of the local church. As Howard Hendricks has said, quote, credible, trustworthy leaders are fast becoming an endangered species, end quote. I think you'd probably agree that's certainly proven to be true. The religious scandals of the past 20 years have convinced many that the integrity of the church ranks alongside snake oil salesmen and politicians. Unfortunately, the modern church sees the concept of elder rule with incredible suspicion, and I believe there are a couple reasons for that perspective. First, because there's been so many leaders who have fallen into adultery and fraud and have developed kind of an overbearing dictatorial attitude. Secondly, I believe the long heritage of American democracy and its values have really kind of crept into the church. Clearly, the church is not a democracy. Instead, it's to be ruled by godly men called elders. The truth is the focal point of church leadership really rests on the shoulders of God-gifted men called elders. So what is eldership and what is an elder? It's a plurality of biblically qualified men who jointly shepherd and oversee a local body of believers. It's really that simple. The word translated elder is used nearly 20 times in Acts and in the epistles to refer to this unique group of leaders who have responsibility for overseeing the people of God. One question that's often asked is whether elders and pastors are two separate offices or are they one? Well, to clear up any misunderstanding, it must first be noted that there are more than two titles given to this office. Scripture actually uses three titles for the same office. They're called elders. Other times they're referred to as overseers. And sometimes they're called pastors. The qualifications of all three are exactly the same. And they're found in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 and Titus 1, 6 through 9. In Titus 1, 5 and 7, Paul refers to the same man as elders and overseers. And in Acts 20, all three terms are used interchangeably. In verse 17, Paul assembled all the elders of the church to Ephesus to give them a farewell message. And in verse 28, he told them to be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. In 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2, again, all three terms are brought together as well. Peter wrote this, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. So elders then are to shepherd the flock and exercising oversight. Clearly, the different terms indicate various features of the same ministry, so they're really not separate offices. Contrary to most Baptist churches, the pattern of the New Testament is shepherding, is is a plurality of elders. Many claim that a local body should be shepherded by one senior pastor. However, nowhere in Scripture do we find a local assembly governed and ruled by one single man. The only pattern for church leadership given in the New Testament is a plurality of elders. When the Apostle Paul left Titus in Crete, he instructed him to appoint elders, notice plural, in every city. James also instructed his readers to call the elders of the church to pray 
for those who were sick. Again, notice the, the plurality of elders. When Paul and Barnabas were in Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, they appointed again elders in every city. In Paul's first epistle to Timothy, he referred to the elders who were to rule well at the church of Ephesus. And again, notice the plurality of elders. That's 1 Timothy 5.17 and Acts 20 verse 17. The book of Acts indicates that there were to be elders at the church in Jerusalem. That's in Acts 11.30. Chapter 5, verse 2 and 4, and 21, 18. In the opening greeting of the epistle to the Philippians, Paul referred to overseers and deacons at the church of Philippi. Again, notice plural, overseers and deacons. The writer of Hebrews calls his readers to obey and to submit to leaders, plural, who keep watch over their souls. Paul exhorted the believers at Thessalonica to appreciate those, plural, who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. He was obviously referring to a plurality of overseers. You see, there's a great blessing when leadership is made up of a plurality of godly men. Their combined counsel and wisdom helps assure that power doesn't corrupt and that decisions are not self-willed or self-serving by some single individual. The responsibilities of these men are to agree on all essential truths, If there's disagreement, they're held responsible as God's stewards to study, to pray, and to seek the will of God until agreement is achieved. In this way, the unity and harmony that the Lord desires for the local church will begin with those individuals that God has appointed to shepherd his flock. So what are the qualifications of elders? The effectiveness of the local church is greatly dependent on on the quality of its leaders. Scripture places very heavy emphasis on the spiritual qualities of these godly ordained elders. Scripture gives very specific standards for such a high calling, and it's located in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 7, and Titus 1, 6 through 8. But the single overarching qualification on which all of the other qualifications rest is to be above reproach. That means that there can't be any glaring sin that would cause others to stumble. An elder is to be above reproach in his marital life, his social life, and certainly in his spiritual life. The biblically qualified elder is to be a model of godliness so that the congregation can follow as the example. An increasing popular idea is that both men and women are qualified for the sacred office. However, scripture is pretty clear that eldership is to be limited to men only. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12, Paul says this, Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. So in the context of the church then, women are to be under the authority of male elders, and they're excluded from teaching men or holding positions of authority over them. Verse 13 explains why this is, has nothing to do with superiority. But listen to what Paul says. He says, for or because, in other words, the reason that women are not to be over men or to teach men, it was because Adam was the first one formed and then Eve. So the reason Paul gives for male headship has to do with the order of creation. And again, it has nothing to do with qualifications or intellect or spiritual ability. Really, ability has nothing to do with it. 
It has only to do with God's creation order. So what exactly is the role of elders? Well, as the apostolic age came to an end, the office of elder began to emerge. Because it replaced the apostolic office, it carried with it a very heavy responsibility. Now, we have to know that the office of elder isn't an exact parallel with with the apostolic office. The apostolic office carried very unique responsibilities of inspiration and laying the foundation for the New Testament church. Scripture gives ample evidence and direction for the office of eldership to replace the apostles. 1 Timothy 3.5 reads that the primary responsibility of an elder is to take care of the local church. Being a shepherd includes a number of duties, and according to Acts 15.22, elders are to determine church policy. They're also to act as shepherds and set an example for all to follow, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. According to Acts 20, verse 28, they're to oversee the church. Titus 1.9 tells us that they're to exhort and refute doctrinal error. And according to 1 Timothy 5.17, 1 Thessalonians 5.12, and 1 Timothy 3.2, elders are to rule, teach, and preach. And finally, 1 Timothy 4.4 tells us that they're responsible to ordain other men or to ordain faithful men. Now, all of those duties then place elders at the center of the New Testament church's function. One of the questions that often comes up is whether a congregation should have input. A popular form of government has emerged called congregational rule. This form of government has become increasingly popular among many, many denominations. These churches operate on the principle of democracy. That sounds kind of good because we're Americans. The basic idea, of course, is that majority rules. However, this form of government is very unbiblical. In every area of responsibility, the elders are to rule with the congregation's best interest in mind. So so they rule with with care and, and watching out for their best interests. While the congregation is responsible for recognizing and choosing godly leaders, for example, such as deacons, But even in those selections, the elders are to oversee and to give their final approval. We see that in Acts chapter 6. When it comes to doctrine and the use of funds or general oversight, the elders have the final responsibility for the function and direction of the local church. Well, that concludes this broadcast, and I really hope it's been very helpful. In my next podcast, we're going to be looking at the topic of church membership. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Until then... May you learn Christ, love Christ, and live for the glory of Christ.